0: morning. It is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Tom called me about a week ago and, and he and Tammy went um, went on a trip. I, I forget the date they're getting back. I'm sure some of you know, but uh, they're down in Costa Rica, so you can uh, pray for them. And uh, it's a delight to, to be here and to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. We're going to continue the series that we were in with Pastor Tom. In other words, we're going to continue in the book of Romans. If you don't have a copy of the Bible with you. We'd love to give you one. The ushers will be coming up and down the aisles to distribute those. So just raise your hand if you didn't bring your Bible today, or maybe if you don't have one. uh, We'd love to make that possible for you to to have. And we definitely want you to be able to follow along with us this morning. We're going to be in the book of Romans. And, of course, like any book, you don't just want to start in the middle and forget what's come before it. So we're starting in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, but I don't want us to forget what we have already learned in this letter. Paul writes the letter to the Roman church. It's a church that he uh, has never visited, but he he knows many of the members of it, and he hopes to visit it. He says that at the beginning, I hope to come and visit you so that I can help you, and and you can help me. But uh, in this letter, he he tries to describe for them and outline for them the gospel of God's grace. He tries to outline for them the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ. So in order to outline this, he has to begin by talking about the sinful condition in which all of us find ourselves. We're all sinners, Paul says, and he makes it very clear how it is that we are condemned by God in sin. But then he goes on to say, in the midst of our sin, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that God offered his son, Jesus Christ, as the propitiation, is the word that Paul uses, the the appeasement of divine wrath, the propitiation for our... So for those who are trusting in Christ for salvation, Paul says, we now have moved from death to life. And in this section we're going to look at this morning, Paul summarizes many of those things. And looks at them from a slightly different angle, but pulls them all together. But he also introduces us to some new realities of our salvation that become unbelievably important as we move on through the rest of this letter and, in fact, as we even read our New Testaments. So before we approach Romans 5, 12, what I'd like to do is say a word of prayer. So will you pray with me now? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for granting us your word, for giving us this gift of your word. We know that This is indeed your word, and it's without error, and it's profitable for us. We know that you tell us your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce to the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And so, Father, we pray that you would take your living word this morning and by your spirit apply it to us. Convict us of sin. Reveal to us more and more of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Transform us into his image. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. One of the struggles that we have when coming to this passage, this passage beginning in Romans five twelve is that we tend to like to think of ourselves and our lives as as things that we have total control over. We can make of ourselves whatever we want. We can do whatever we want. Our, our lives are full of, full of these open, limitless possibilities, no fixed realities. This is sort of part of the cultural air we breathe. This is something that People talk about all the time and it extends into all kinds of areas of life. This idea of having a choice and being able to set your own destiny and be be whatever it is that you want. Those are are part of the the things that that really make our culture tick. And, and And yet if we just think about that for a split second, we know that it's not exactly quite so simple. For instance... To give a few very obvious examples, about about 150 years ago, our our nation engaged in a civil war. The outcome of that has important ramifications, good ramifications for us today, and we don't even we don't even think about that. We take those realities for granted. A little before that, our nation. Had a revolutionary war and so we live in the United States of America it's just a, for us today at this moment it's a fixed reality we didn't pick that we didn't choose that we didn't we didn't really contribute to it in any meaningful way it just it just is or perhaps to bring it a little closer to home there was there was a point there was a point in history a fixed point in history when when you were born that there, was a, there was a fixed point in history when your parents were born. And, and whether you know all the details of that or don't, the, the reality is that that happened and the fact that it happened has fixed ramifications for you today. You weren't, you weren't born a day later or a day earlier than, than the day you were born. And that matters. That makes a difference for your life. And so there are these fixed realities that we live with and we could, we could list them on and on. But Paul wants to draw our attention to one of the central fixed realities that all human beings share. And it's this, in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. The, the fixed reality, the historical fact that Paul wants to turn our attention towards at the beginning of this section is that all of us are descendants of Adam, this one man. And through this one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and we all participated. In that sin of Adam, and we all see the ongoing effects of the death that came into the world through that sin. Now that seems like a very distant, distant fact. That's something that happened long before any of us can remember. In fact, the, the way we know of it is because the scriptures recorded for us. And yet, and yet, the reality is that is a significant fact. That has implications, Paul says, for every single one of us. Every single person born into the world is born into the world, as Paul says, a sinner and deserving of death. Now, the way in which Paul wants to prove this to us, the way in which he wants to demonstrate this to us, is by uh, recalling in our minds those first chapters of Genesis. So, So he he does this in several uh, very very careful ways in verses 13 and 14. And what what he does is this. What Paul says is, you can actually see, right after the sin of Adam, you can see the fact that sin spreads to every facet of Adam and Eve's life, and, and in fact spreads to all those who follow after them. In other words, if you were to go back into... Genesis chapter 3, which records the fall of Adam and Eve, what you would find is this, that the minute they eat from the tree that God had commanded them not to eat from, all kinds of things change right away. As soon as they eat from the tree, they hide from God. They had previously enjoyed close fellowship with the Lord, and they hide themselves from him. It changed something. On the inside, it changed something about how they viewed God. They no longer viewed him as someone with whom they wanted to have fellowship, but as a as a kind of threat or a, a kind of enemy to them. It also changed their relationship to one another. You immediately see this if you read Genesis 3. When God comes and confronts Adam about his sin, he blames it on Eve. He says, this woman whom you gave to me, She's the one who's responsible for all this. Adam blames Eve and ultimately blames God. This perfect fellowship that Adam and Eve had with one another and with the Lord is is broken. Something changes on the inside the minute sin enters the world. There is a corruption that enters into Adam and Eve that infects everything in their lives. Their relationships with one another, their relationships with... The Lord, their relationship with the earth, everything is affected by this corrupting influence that sin has. And Paul says, "Don't you see, you're still a part of this. You're corrupted by sin as well. Not only are they corrupted by sin, but and this is one of the key points Paul is making here, they're also condemned." By their sins. So not only are they infected the moment the fall takes place, and it just immediately spills over, but, but they also have this condemnation. They're, 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 they're judged guilty by the Lord. A- and the key way that Genesis shows us this, and the key way that Paul reminds us of this here in this paragraph, is Paul says, You know they're condemned by the Lord because... They continue to die. If you read a little further, Genesis three, Genesis four, Genesis five, there's this very peculiar chapter, Genesis chapter five. It's peculiar because it's a genealogy of Adam. And oftentimes, we want to sort of skip through those genealogies; are hard to figure out. The names are difficult to pronounce. But, but this Genesis five genealogy is worth. Reflecting on for a moment, because one of the things that happens in Genesis 5, one of the unique features of this genealogy, is it repeats this phrase over and over again. And if you hear it aloud, it really sinks in. And the phrase is very simple. The phrase is this, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. So even if you can't pronounce the name, you know what happened to him. He died. And this is Paul's point. Death spread to all men. So not only does sin infect everyone, but but you can see they're condemned. They're under this judicial sentence from the Lord. And he died, and he died, and he died. Death spread to all men. Now, now Paul uh, makes a, a little side turn because he anticipates an objection in verse 13. And, and what he says is, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. And, and, and here's, the, here's the objection that he's anticipating. He's anticipating someone saying, well, wait a minute. How can you prove to me that all those people after Adam are sinners when, when there wasn't a written code? In, in, other, words, in other words, how... How would they have seen themselves? And and Paul says it's, it's possible that they wouldn't have imputed sin. Sin wouldn't have been imputed to them in terms of their own perception if there wasn't a law. In other words, what Paul's saying is they might not even have known they were violating God's standard. To impute just means to credit something. They might not have even understood that without the law. But... But nonetheless, we can look back and know they were continuing to sin because they continue to die. Sin has still infected them. We can see the effects of it in Genesis 1 through 11. So even though there wasn't a law in those chapters where we can say, well, this person must have done this and broken this code, nonetheless, the effect is there. So you see, Paul knows that sometimes we like to be sort of lawyerly about these things. I'm, I'm sure this this hasn't happened in, in your house, but but sometimes when my kids were younger, they would do things like this. They would have we have these incredible discussions. These discussions where you say to yourself, I, "I I I don't even know how we got here." Where 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 something will happen like this? I'll say i say to say to one of my kids, "Um, did you brush your teeth? Yeah, yeah, brush my teeth. D- did you use toothpaste? You never said toothpaste. That's that's what'll happen." Those kinds of things. And so so what you what you start to do is you start to say, okay, we're gonna spell this out every time. And Paul's saying this, he's saying, even if it wasn't spelled out every time, they hadn't met the standard. Even though the Mosaic Law was not there, and so they themselves didn't understand perhaps all that God required of them, nonetheless, we looking back can still see They were sinners. And you know, Paul doesn't make this point, but if you look back at Genesis 1 through 11, not only can you see that all of them are sinners, even without a law there that they had access to, you can also see that the sin actually is getting worse and worse and worse. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve commit this sin against the Lord. And, and it affects all kinds of things in their life. But then what about their son? We know, because of the way that Eve talks when she has her first child, we know that she had great hopes for him, just like many parents do. She, she held this little baby in her hand and probably thought this, this, could be, this could change everything. He could be the hope of the world. But that baby that she was thinking that about was Cain. Who murdered his brother. And we only have to go two chapters after Cain murdering his brother. For Genesis 6 to say this. The Lord God looked down from heaven. And saw that every thought of man's heart was always evil all the time. We can't get much of a more thorough statement than that. About the spreading effects of sin. Paul says, even when there wasn't a written standard, it was being violated. And you know, death was the clear marker of that. Death reigned, Paul says in verse 14, from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. So, of course, they weren't taking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was over and done with, but nonetheless they continued to sin and death continued to reign. These are the stark realities. Every person is in Adam. And what that means is every person by nature is corrupted by sin and condemned. And we see this pattern emerge over. Whether we know it or not, whether we choose to admit it or not, whether you like to think of your life differently than this or not, the biblical reality is, by nature, we're all descendants of Adam. We're all participants of that sin. That sin that Paul's describing, that sin with all its effects, But verse 15, verse 15, Paul changes everything because in verse 15, Paul says, But in contrast to this, the free gift that we received is not like that transgression. The transgression of Adam and our participation in it it's a biblical reality it's something that i think we know as we look around but if we if we denied it the bible's clear about it but the free gift isn't like that transgression because paul says by the transgression of the one many died much more did the grace of god and the gift of the grace by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abound to many. So you see, now it's moving in the opposite direction. Paul says, for, for those, for those who are in Christ, they're not defined by that sin of Adam, which leads to death and which leads to corruption. They're now ultimately defined by By the work of Jesus Christ. Paul sets up Adam and Christ as a a kind of type, anti-type. Where Adam brought death, where Adam brought the disease of sin, Christ, for those who are in him, brings the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. With Adam we associate Death and corruption with Christ, the word that Paul comes back to again and again is, it's grace. And one of the reasons why grace is really the only appropriate term to use here is because in the place of Christ, in the the, the situation Paul's describing with Christ, the gift is given in the midst of many, many, many transgressions. Remember that phrase in Genesis chapter 6? The Lord looked down and saw that all the thoughts of man's heart were always evil all the time. It just progressively gets worse. Even after the flood, God starts over with this righteous man, Noah. Noah. And as soon as Noah gets off the ark, what we read is that he sins and sins in a grievous way. And a chapter after that, all the earth is sinning against the Lord and building a tower. This cycle is repeated. And it's in the midst of that abundance of transgressions that Jesus Christ offers grace. This is verse 16. The free gift arose from many transgressions. And it resulted in justification. That is, it's almost impossible to fathom. But as the sin spread, and, and as people grew worse and worse, and it just piled on top of itself, what we find is God in Christ comes and justifies those who are in him. We've talked about justification in this letter before. Paul's introduced the term before. But justification means to be declared righteous. And Paul says, isn't it remarkable that in in, in the midst of Many, many, many transgressions. Jesus Christ comes and justifies. Declares sinners who are condemned and corrupted. Declares sinners righteous in the courtroom of God. It's an almost unbelievable piece of news. That where Adam only led to greater sin, Christ, his work, his grace results in justification. And that brings us to verse 17, where Paul summarizes this. He says, If by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more... Those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I want to turn your attention to three ways that Paul summarizes the gift of God in Christ in this verse. Because this is sort of a summary verse for most of what he said since verse 12. First thing he does is he describes Christ's work for those who believe in terms of an abundance, an abundance of grace. Think about this for a moment. Think about why Paul could call it an abundance of grace. One reason he could call it an abundance of grace is because he's already said there was an abundance of transgression. Have you ever noticed this? The people who are most thankful, people who are most thankful to the Lord are generally those who are most aware of how in and of themselves, how far they are from him. It's interesting, if you look at the New Testament, Paul describes himself in many ways as an apostle and all these other things. But you know in his very last letter, his very last letter that he wrote, that we have... Paul describes himself this way. He he describes himself as the chief of sinners. The chief of sinners. He understood the grace of God. And he understood the grace of God because he understood his own sinful condition. You'll never really see or or feel deep down in your heart that, that God in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ that God has given you an abundance of grace unless you also understand what Paul has said in the preceding verses that that there was an abundance of transgression we're not here in church to pretend as if we're not sinners perhaps you're, you're new to church you haven't come for some time and perhaps one of your hangups is this, well, well they just sort of pretend that they're better than everyone else not if they're biblical Christians they don't because the Bible teaches us that the situation we were in apart from Christ was a situation where we were condemned and corrupted and men had many many transgressions but it's because Paul knows that that Paul can then say, ah, but the gift, the gift isn't like that. The gift is an abundance of grace. If you're a Christian, do you look at it that way? You think God has given you just a little bit of grace? I mean, there were one or two things you probably couldn't have done on your own didn't exactly know how to handle eternity. But, but other than that, you're, 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 you were you were more or less on the right track. More or less had things straightened out. It just to work out that death detail. But, but, but other than that, I'm, I'm more or less on the show. No, 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 no. That's not what Paul says. You need to recognize that your salvation in Christ is nothing less than abounding and if you are tempted to think otherwise you need to rethink what Paul says about Adam and one of the ways you can tell whether you're tempted to think otherwise is by asking yourself the question how do i how do i treat other people how do i look at them when they're struggling do i look down on them do i have a kind of arrogance about my own faith and my own uh, not struggling in that area? If you do, I, I don't know that you've fully understood abundance of grace. The second thing Paul mentions here, in addition to the abundance of grace, is he says, he calls the, the work of Christ on behalf of those who believe, a, a, a gift of righteousness, a gift of... Of righteousness. This is an amazing thing. Because what the Bible teaches. Is that for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Not only has God abundantly given them grace to cover their transgressions. He has also on the positive side of the ledger. ledger given them a gift of God's righteousness. In other words, your debt is not only forgiven, but you have been credited with that which Jesus Christ earned. This is just an astonishing thing. But but it's very clear in the New Testament that those who are trusting in Christ are co-heirs with Jesus Christ and are going to receive the inheritance that is due to him. And the righteousness that is Christ's, Paul says, is now yours. So not only have you received an abundance of grace which you needed, you have been gifted with Christ's righteousness. We could never have earned that. We could never have hoped to even have a small measure of participation in it. But we don't have a small measure of participation in it. We have been given it completely given Christ's righteousness. And then, do you see the third thing he mentions in verse 17? We will also reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Now what Paul is doing here is he is very consciously playing off what he said already about Adam. In Adam, death reigns. In Christ... So that, as Jesus himself says, the one who lives and believes in me will never die. He doesn't mean by that, of course, that we won't face physical death. Uh, Jesus, in fact, tells his apostles that they will face physical death, and some of them in exactly the same way that he did. No, it's not about avoiding physical death, but it is about ultimate, eternal life. So that the the principle of life is at work in us, and the ultimate reality for us is not death, but is life, and life eternal. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. He offers eternal life to those you trust in his name. Do you think about that? Do you reflect on the life that is yours? Does death still seem ultimate to you? That's very difficult. The book of Hebrews says he has freed us from the fear of death. And he does that by reminding us of the life that is ours in eternity in Christ. One way of describing all of this, one way of describing all of these truths that Paul's introducing here in Romans 5, is to talk about them in terms of our union with Christ. The Bible says that those who are believers, those who are trusting in Christ, those who have turned away from their sin and are embracing him for their salvation, are united to Christ, And this is exactly what Paul's talking about. And Paul is basically saying this. You are in Adam. You are united with Adam by birth. But through faith, you can have union with Jesus Christ. And all the benefits that come along with it. In fact, one theologian has gone so far as to say this. Union with Christ is the central truth in the whole world doctrine of salvation it underlies every aspect of our redemption and i think that's right because look at what paul does in verse 17 our forgiveness is because we are united with christ and receive an abundance of grace our righteousness is because we are united with christ and receive his gift of righteousness our eternal life is because we are united with christ and will reign in life through the one jesus christ This is such a precious truth of our lives as believers. So then in verses 18 through 21, Paul brings this to a conclusion. He's spoken about Adam and he's spoken about Christ and our union with him. And he says, so then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted in justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's that corruption we were talking about earlier. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous such a precious truth, because if you look at your life now, even if you're a believer, even if you are trusting in Christ, uh, you look at your life now and you realize, I still struggle with sin. I'm still wrestling with all these things. I, I still I still know myself and, and, and feel the corruption that is within me. And that's right. The Bible tells us to anticipate that until we see Christ face to face and are transformed completely by Him. And yet, the, the, the glorious news is, That that will happen one day. And so Paul says, even though there is this corruption, because of the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Jesus says, Jesus says this in John chapter 6, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. And I will raise him up on the last day. In other words, we this to be true because Christ has completed his work on the cross. He's promised us that we will be one day totally transformed. Now, Paul is, of course, talking to an audience that was thinking about the Old Testament a great deal, thinking about the implications of the law that Moses has given fits into all this. That's why earlier he talked about the fact that sin is increasing even if there's no law. But here he brings up the law again because this would have been on their minds perhaps in a way that it's not necessarily on our minds. Uh, But Paul says this about the law. He says one of the things with the law is the law came in so that transgression would increase. And what he means by that is this that that once the law is there, once the standards are very clear, then then it just becomes even more obvious and apparent that that sin is there. This transgression just increases. A transgression is a violation of the law. And so the more laws you have, the more the more details are given, the more transgressions there are going to be, just by their very nature. It doesn't mean that sin is any more or less present. It's always been there since Adam But when there are more restrictions, more regulations, when it's all spelled out, then the transgressions increase even more. And so the law came in that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life. Jesus Christ our Lord I don't know today how you think about your standing with God I don't know if you think about it very little in which case I would say to you that Jesus himself is crystal clear about the fact that it is appointed unto man Once to die, and after that to face judgment. Jesus says, I am the one who has been appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. So, so, so if you don't think about your relationship with God very often, know this. Whether you want to admit it or not, just as you are an Adam, and that is a historical fact and a historical reality, so there is a future reality that you will face Christ in judgment. Jesus goes on to say, though, after saying that he is the judge of all the earth, he says, he offered, I offer forgiveness of sins for those who believe in my name. And so perhaps you do think about it and you do recognize that your standing with God is dependent entirely on Christ. Then I think Paul's word for you today would be to say, remember that your entire Christian experience from the day you first received forgiveness of sins when you came to Jesus in faith to the day you die and are completely transformed is all by grace. One of the early writers in the church talked about that day in the future when we will see Christ face to face and he, he recognized that In the Bible, it talks about us receiving crowns for different things, different rewards for different things. And this writer said this, all of our crowns will simply be there so that we can cast them at the feet of Jesus himself because it's all by grace. Don't you see this is the note that Paul ends on? Eternal life, righteousness, and it's grace abounding. Sinners. Let's pray today and rejoice in this. Lord, we thank you for your word once again. It's a gift to us. Thank you for the good news that you've given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for very clearly explaining to us our participation in the sin of Adam and also for showing us the news of your grace. May we stand firm in your grace and may we glorify Jesus Christ, whether we live or die. We pray this in Christ's name.